It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I started with clear, then rain, then hail, then snow. Tonight with the snow in retreat, here comes the rain and the potential for flooding in Metro Vancouver. Plus... The community where blowing your horn is not appreciated. And now there's a silent solution. And... They're more than welcome here as immigrants, as private citizens. Beyond that... A reaction to Prince Harry and Meghan losing their titles and the money that comes with them. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Many of us on the South Coast are hoping the worst of this week's storms are finally behind us. And that is largely true, despite continuing risks of freezing rain and slick conditions on many roads tonight. But as Nadia Stewart reports, some people are still running into problems as the big snow melt begins. In the early morning hours, one final dusting of snow blanketed parts of the lower mainland. Langley picking up a few centimeters. Keeping crews busy as they worked to clear a slightly slippery Highway 1. Still, it was a much calmer day here in Abbotsford and Langley. Compared to snow and freezing rain along the Sea to Sky Highway, anyone heading up to the mountains had to come prepared for the commute. We did see a few cars on the sides of the street um, trying to dig themselves out, but uh, we didn't see any collisions per se. I saw a lot of cars that shouldn't have been coming up here this morning though. And people still should do it. I guess they want to ski that bad. Driving up into the snow to escape an all-too-familiar friend. I will take the rain down here. Snow on the mountains for me. A week of snow has finally given way to a weekend of rain. A soggy yet welcome reprieve for many. Snow seems to last for only a couple hours and then <laughs> rain comes and it's all gone. But I prefer the rain because... At least I can drive my car and it's not slippery. Caution was still needed on the highway Saturday morning. That was the case in Delta, where black ice led to several collisions. But in Vancouver... We're back to a level one response, where as you can imagine, a few days ago, we were up to a level five. The arrival of rain means crews are shifting their attention to the city's 44,000 catch basins, ensuring they're clear of snow, preventing street level flooding. And they're asking residents to help if they can. We would greatly appreciate it if you could clear it. Even though we do have crews out, um, it is difficult to get to everything. And so we would uh, appreciate that. Much like many can appreciate a break from the winter weather. I'm happy that it's raining now. <laughs> At least for now. Adios to Global News. And possible unforeseen fallout from this week's snow, a gas shortage in parts of Metro Vancouver. A number of ESSO stations have either shut down their pumps entirely or are just selling Supreme. One station attendant told us trucks haven't been able to get through the snow, and that's been, it's been two days since he's had a delivery. Gas expert Dan McTagg also tells us another factor could be an eight-week maintenance project at Burnaby's Parkland Refinery. There's no word on when gas supply will return to normal. One driver we spoke to with in North Vancouver got in just under the wire. Well, you know, we're really lucky because I ran out of gas up at Cyprus and we sent her son down to get me a tank of gas from here. So we're here to return the 
and gas, the gas tin. And late this afternoon, a refueling truck arrived at one of those North Vancouver stations to refill the empty pumps. The truck driver telling Global News that poor road conditions over the last week led to the shortage. While the snow across Metro Vancouver is melting, it appears some bad drivers are sticking around. Burnaby RCMP say this driver was actually unable to see the officer who handed him a $109 ticket Friday until they stood right in front of the vehicle. The whole right side of the Mercedes was covered in snow. Police say another driver was caught with bare tires and had also been smoking cannabis when pulled over. He was fined $109 for the tires and $575 for smoking weed behind the wheel. With snow and cold temperatures persisting in parts of the province, the BC Conservation is warning the public about a possible increase in wildlife sightings as animals seek food or shelter. This moose was seen eating crab apples outside a Vanderhoof apartment building on Friday before taking a rest in the doorway. Conservation officers say the moose appeared healthy and showed no signs of aggression. The driver of a U-Haul truck was taken into custody after the vehicle slammed into a hydro pole this morning, knocking out power to thousands. The crash happened on Fraser Highway and 185th Street just before 10.30 this morning. Mounties say the collision caused the power pole to hang over the street. and The U-Haul ended up crashing head-on into a signpost a short distance away, leaving the front end heavily damaged. Surrey RCMP say the driver walked away from the scene, but witnesses helped police locate him. Police are now trying to determine whether the truck and its contents belonged to the driver or if the truck was stolen. Boxes and bags were found in the back of the truck. No one was hurt. 2,500 customers, however, lost power during the outage. It's the last thing former residents of Seashelt's Sea-Watch neighborhood need right now. Just weeks after learning their properties have been assessed as worthless vandals have targeted their abandoned homes jill bennett reports these photos showing vandalism discovered on friday are one more blow to homeowners who already feel beaten down it's it's hard hard heartbreaking i mean it's just like it's it's our life savings that it's just being destroyed and people are allowed to do this at least two homes in the Sea-Watch development in Seashelt had rocks thrown through the windows and graffiti sprayed on the walls. And it's not the first time this has happened. The last go-arounds, our house was broken into. They were actually living in our home uh, for, for I don't know how long. They were living in our neighbor's house. It's been almost one year since the 14 homes were evacuated because of concerns following sinkholes. The district ordered the residents out, saying the hazard was so high there was potential for injury or even death. Several have launched legal action, claiming the district and the developer are at fault. But while that proceeds, they say they'd like to at least know their homes are protected. We were told when we were evacuated that a certain amount of security was going to be provided. We were told there would be RCMP patrols, there would be drones flying over. We haven't seen a drone yet. You, you sit on pins and needles, you just keep wondering, what's the next thing? The vandalism comes just weeks after the owners received notices showing their homes, once valued at more than a million dollars each, are now assessed at $2. Residents are also frustrated, saying the state of emergency keeps being renewed with no end in sight, leaving them helpless. We can't even get anyone to go and replace the windows. Jill Bennett, Global News.
Elsewhere on the Sunshine Coast, police arrested a man possibly for careless use of a firearm. Officers were called to a home in the secret cove about 17 minutes northwest of Seashell. Someone inside the house called 911 early this morning saying a man was armed and they were concerned about his behavior. The caller fled to a neighbor's house. An RCMP emergency response team was deployed. The neighborhood was evacuated and a man was eventually arrested just before 9.30 this morning. It can be a mournful, evocative sound, but not for everyone. What many in White Rock consider to be an annoyance will soon be silenced. As Paul Johnson reports, trains that regularly run through the seaside community will do so unannounced. How would you like to hear that several times a night, every night? Loud. Yeah. John Clark lives just up the hill from the tracks on White Rock Beach. And like most here, he'll tell you it's something you adapt to reluctantly. They're pretty good at night, but the odd guy comes through and uh, just feels like he's got to lay it on when, uh, you know, six in the morning. Now, if you happen to be one of those cynical types who doubt government's ability to fix things, you need to check out what they've accomplished in White Rock. A train comes in, of course, it blows its horn at every crossing, and you probably never get back to sleep again in your whole life. So people are frustrated. By working with the federal government and the railroad company, they've been able to come up with a new plan where engineers won't automatically sound that horn at all of the pedestrian crossings on the beach. They'll only use it if they see a person or an animal. The centerpiece of the new plan is this. Well, the obvious thing is, is the, uh, the, the gates that come down here, the big arms that come down, obviously the lights are flashing and all that kind of stuff. There are now gates and warning lights at all of the crossings on the beach. With those and the new procedures, this part of White Rock should be substantially quieter at night. One person lived by the track in eight days. He couldn't hear it anymore. Because oh, okay. it's mind over matter, right? right? While many here have learned to cope through sheer willpower or earplugs, a practical workaround that balances safety and quality of life has been among the single biggest issues for a long time. I think probably everybody on the hillside would just as soon get rid of the horns. So this is, this is great. At White Rock Beach, Paul Johnson, Global News. BC's first hybrid electric ferries arrived in Victoria today following a 10,000 nautical mile trip from Romania. The transport ship carrying the two new island-class vessels arrived at Ogden Point early this morning. They'll remain on board the ship for the next five days while preparations are made to unload them. BC Ferry says they, the currently unnamed vessels are designed to eventually operate on 100% electric power. They'll also significantly cut down on underwater noise, a key priority amid growing concerns over the endangered southern resident killer whale population. They're expected to make their maiden voyage later this year. They are cleaner, they're quieter, and they will offer an improved customer experience when they go into service in mid-2020. Um, so the, the first one will go into service in mid-2020, and it's on the two routes, Powell River to Texada, as well as Port McNeil to Alert Bay to Sointula. Right, no, uh, currently they're kind of a, a hybrid, and it's a diesel and electric battery, so it's kind of the, like the, uh, the Prius of ferries. Uh, but as they go forward, they'll convert them 
take the diesels out and re replace them with full batteries, and then there'll be Tesla ferries. Uh, the delivery estate patrol could have done without the shocking crash all caught on camera. And just when you thought it had been cold in the lower mainland, the BC town where you can do this, that's coming up on the news hour. Well, another twist today in the Meghan and Harry saga. In quitting their jobs as working royals, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will no longer use the title Royal Highness or receive public funds for their work. The deal, struck by Buckingham Palace, comes after Prince Harry and Meghan announced they wanted to step down as senior royals and live part-time in Canada. Kristen Robinson has more on what this latest news means. Days after Meghan made a low-key visit to Vancouver's downtown east side, a bombshell from Buckingham Palace. She and Harry are finalizing their life as ordinary civilians. I think that's a pretty brave thing that they're doing, giving up that, that family security that they've had this whole, their whole lives. In part of a deal struck with the Queen, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will stop using their Royal Highness titles and won't receive public funds for royal duties. I think they're making a choice for their family. I think it's fo they're focused on their children and the kind of life that they want for them. The old days of the monarchy is over. I think they're setting a new course, and, and I personally admire them for that. I'm a city councillor in Victoria, so as long as they don't ask us for money, I'm fine. <laughs> Earlier this month, Harry and Meghan blindsided the royal family, announcing they were stepping back as senior royals to become financially independent. The Royal Rift resolution will see the couple repay about $4 million Canadian in taxpayer money spent on renos at their home near Windsor Castle. I think the fact that they are truly giving up that title means that perhaps that concern about the taxpayer's commitment to security costs may be less if zero. I'm happy if they want to stay here, but I don't think we should be paying for their security. Yeah, it's fine as long as we don't have to pay anything for it. Who will pick up the tab to keep Harry and Meghan safe as private citizens remains unclear. The Queen stating she recognizes the challenges they've experienced as a result of intense scrutiny and supports their wish for a more independent life. The new regime of separation starts this spring. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Women's marches were held around the world today, including right here in B.C. Hundreds gathered on the lawn of the legislature in Victoria this morning before walking to Centennial Square. This year's theme is Women Rising 2020, focusing on the ongoing struggles faced by women, those with, with marginalized gender orientation, and the LGBTQ2 community. Marches were also held across the country, including in Calgary. The movement started in 2017, a day after the, the inauguration of U.S. President Donald Trump. The 30-year battle over a proposed ski resort in southwestern B.C. is now officially over. The federal and provincial governments have agreed to an indigenous protected and conserved area for the Jumbo Valley. Since 1990, developers had earmarked the Jumbo Glacier west of Invermere as a home for a year-round ski resort. But the Tanaha Nation considers the Quatmuk area sacred land and took their fight to protect it all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. The First Nation lost in a landmark ruling in 2017, but today's agreement will give them the power to protect the land forever, marking the end of the planned Jumbo Glacier Resort. 
It's a good feeling because we've spent the last uh, several decades in a in a battle, basically, to ensure that the place was protected and that our uh, spirituality was acknowledged and recognized. And uh, while we may not have been successful in in previous work, that uh, the fact that we were able to to have this opportunity to move forward with an indigenous protected and conserved area, it's something that uh, we're quite happy about. The last husky in a group that was up for adoption in the Okanagan has found a new home. So cute. The Brace family adopted Yuki from the Penticton SBCA this week. He's the last of 17 huskies that were up for adoption. The 8 to 10 week old huskies were rescued by the SBCA in December after they were found in poor condition living outdoors in the BC interior. The SBCA says the pups were lethargic and covered in parasites, but they are all healthy now and living in new homes. Much of Newfoundland and Labrador is buried under snow tonight after a blizzard with hurricane-force winds whipped the province yesterday and didn't let up all night. St. John's International Airport recorded 76.2 centimetres of snow, the most since record-keeping began back in 1942. Other areas saw more than 90 centimetres. And the fierce wind blowing all that snow around created drifts that reached up to the rooftops. The province has extended a state of emergency for St. John's and surrounding areas into tomorrow, and it could remain in place until the start of the week. As Ross Lord reports, it'll take days for people to dig the rock out of this. The worst snowstorm in decades is finally over, but its impact is only now coming into view. Streets plugged with snow, cars covered, and in some cases buried deep beneath. Snowfall that was accurately forecast, but needs to be seen to be believed. No more, buddy. This is the, the most I ever see in my life. This is what we got. There's nowhere to put the snow. Where do we put the snow? For a second day, a state of emergency remained in effect in St. John's and in many other Newfoundland communities. Tens of thousands of Newfoundlanders have been forced to endure power outages. It was 12, about 12 hours. We lost power for about 12 hours. For people in this neighborhood, staying inside didn't help. Police say an avalanche of snow crashed into one home, spreading heavy snow inside and causing firefighters to urge residents to move to safety. Emergency responders say they are available if required. Here, firefighters responded to an explosion from an electrical transformer near the top of a house. Fortunately, there was no serious damage. In another community, a man who suffers from medical issues has gone missing. His family has not heard from him since he left home on foot Friday at the height of the blizzard. A big question, can the province of Newfoundland and Labrador handle the cleanup alone? The premier has asked the federal government for help. It could be anything to providing assistance to people that are left stranded in their homes, and there's quite a few of those. Uh, the state of emergency is still and been extended in many parts of the province right now because of the, the accumulation of snowfall. So there will be a number of things that they could be engaged in. Where we can give relief and where we can assist them, that's very important. But also just for the general public to know that the federal government is acting with all the resources that it can bring to bear as quickly as possible. In Bonavista, another coastal community in a state of emergency, the snowfall total is 71 centimeters. There were peak gusts of 164 kilometers an hour. To me, the most frightening and, uh, you know, for me, were winds. It's so incredible to speed. Just everything shaking was so scary. 
Bonavista's mayor estimates it will cost millions of dollars to repair the damage, including five sections of seawall that collapsed. A cold snap has moved in, ensuring all of this won't be going anywhere for a while. Ross Lord, Global News, Halifax. And Toronto has not escaped a winter storm. Drivers are dealing with potentially dangerous conditions. They're being warned visibility could change suddenly because of heavy blowing snow. More than 200 accidents have already been reported in the GTA. Today's storm is expected to be the most significant snowfall to hit the region since November. Family and friends are remembering the life of Laura Kosakowski, an Alberta family doctor with BC Connections who died in an avalanche last Friday. The celebration of life was held today in Canmore. Kosakowski was born in Vancouver and raised in Kamloops, but had called Alberta home for many years. She died after being buried in a slide on Mount Hector in Banff while on a backcountry ski trip with her husband and friends. She was 34 years old. The winter weather is causing a spike in car thefts as a staggering number of drivers warm up their vehicles unattended with the keys left in the ignition. From the start of the year to January 15th, 73 idling vehicles have been stolen in Edmonton. All but three had the keys inside. Normally, the city records about 200 idling car thefts over the winter. Police say it's preventable and suggests investing in remote car starters designed to shut off your engine if anyone attempts to drive the vehicle without a key. A delivery truck driver dash cam in Iowa captured a shocking crash on a highway yesterday. Iowa State Patrol releasing the footage which shows a trooper and a man helping with a separate crash on an interstate in southwest Iowa on Friday. Suddenly, as you just saw, that white truck veers off the road and nearly hits them. Police say remarkably nobody was seriously hurt. No word on what caused the accident, but the state patrol reminds motorists to slow down and be aware of the road conditions. Of course, a very different weather picture in Australia. Heavy rain lashed parts of the country today, causing flash floods, while wildfires continue to burn in other parts of the country. In the southeastern parts of Queensland, more than 30 centimetres of rain fell, cutting off major highways and closing theme parks. Authorities had to rescue several people. The Australian Bureau of Meteorology says the rains are a one-in-100-year event, but with climate change, that could change too. In Health Matters, a mysterious respiratory illness that has similarities to SARS has healthcare workers around the world, including here in Canada, on alert. At least 45 people have contracted the virus, believed to be connected to animals at a market in central China. There are growing concerns human-to-human transmission may be possible, and that's prompted three major airports in Canada, Toronto, Vancouver and Montreal, to take precautionary measures. Reggie Giacchini has more. In the middle of an active cold and flu season, public health officials are now tracking a possible epidemic after a new virus with pneumonia-like symptoms was discovered with links to a market in China's Wuhan province. I understand they are doing some um, environmental investigation in the markets. Known as coronavirus, it comes from a larger family that includes everything from the common cold to SARS. This strain wasn't detected until early January when a person was hospitalized with suspected influenza. It's really important in this case to understand what the route of exposure was, what the actual identity of the animal is. 
At least three patients who had traveled from central China have been hospitalized in both Thailand and Japan. Two are not believed to have been at the market. Investigators must now determine if the illness is spreading through Wuhan, but they don't have a clear picture. This isn't a time for panic, but it is a time for people to be alert. In the meantime, the Chinese government has ordered the suspected market closed and is being given credit by the World Health Organization for its quick action. Chinese authorities also shared the complete genomic sequence with WHO and with the public. In 2003, Chinese health agencies actively worked to cover up the details surrounding the SARS virus. The respiratory illness led to more than 750 deaths worldwide, 44 of them in Canada, the highest number of deaths outside of China and Hong Kong. Currently, there is no vaccination for coronavirus. There are immunotherapies um, that are under consideration. But that isn't enough for some medical experts. Once SARS appeared in 2003 and we knew that coronaviruses had this potential, it really was imperative that we developed countermeasures to be able to take coronaviruses off the pandemic list. And it's now 17 years later and we're seeing what happens when you don't have vaccines. These concerns come as China prepares to welcome hundreds of thousands of visitors for Lunar New Year celebrations. Travel bans have not been put in place in Wuhan province yet, and Canadian health officials have deemed the risk to travelers as low, while the U.S. Centers for Disease Control is advising people to practice usual precautions. The best advice is to probably avoid those live animal markets in Wuhan. In a protective move, passengers at local airports will have their temperatures screened, while in the U.S., health officials at three hubs will do the same for incoming passengers coming from or connecting from Wuhan. As health officials try to get a better understanding of a virus that knows no limits. Reggie Chikini, Global News. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. How something called the feline grimace scale could take the pain out of being a cat. We're going to have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, a snowy stunt in north central BC, which shows us just how cold it got in that region. Have a look at this. This video shows a boy in Vanderhoof tossing water out of his cup in frigid temperatures, that water freezing in a matter of seconds. His mother says it was a great way to spend a snow day off school. As for how cold it got that day, temperatures dipped to a bone-chilling minus 44, Yvonne. Minus 44. Oh, and you can't be out there that long as well with the risk of frostbite. Oh, no. No, Vanderhoof's going to get a nice break, not quite snow-making anymore, and we'll show you why. We've been tracking a change, Colleen. Thanks and good evening, everyone. We've seen a transition from snow to freezing rain, and now with milder temperatures, we are going to be seeing rain, and a significant amount could push in across the island, and I'll show you the reason in the timeline in just a moment. A glance at what we're seeing out of the airport, five degrees with some cloud cover, dry conditions, the winds have eased off. We've 
We've got an easterly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. Temperatures right now are above the freezing mark. It feels like it's been a while, and any of the moisture that is falling, especially across the island, is rain closer to the water, even near Victoria 7 and 8, and areas into the Fraser Valley towards the east, still close to or hovering the freezing mark. So some of the peak wind gusts that we did see at times, especially overnight, a few spots out of the airport, up to 40 kilometers per hour. Gusts for the northern half of the province for Cape St. James, over 120 kilometers per hour, and Sandspit, over 100. Now, we are still seeing some active weather, a snapshot of some of the warnings, the snowfall, 20 and up to 30 centimeters along the north coast inland, especially if you're near Terrace and the potentials there to see blowing snow. The winds across the central half of the province and a few spots for the northern and eastern edge of the island could still get up to 90 kilometers per hour. Risk of freezing rain along the mountain passes and snowfall for areas near Whistler, 20 and potentially up to 40 centimeters, continuing through the day before it changes over to rain. And the rainfall warnings, we've got lots. That's along the western edge of the island, 15 up to 70 millimeters by tomorrow. And areas near Port Alice could see over 100 millimeters. So here's a quick glance along the mountain passes, the risk of freezing rain for the Coquihalla, Hope to Merit, a heads up, as well as the Allison Pass. Still seeing that transition with warmer air moving in areas near Whistler, a significant amount, and areas near the Rogers and Kootenay Mass pass rather lesser amounts between four and up to eight centimeters. With the milder temperatures, it'll be falling as rain across the south coast, but we are tracking waves and a system that is going to push in late tomorrow and then bring us rainfall for both Monday, Tuesday will be heavy at times. A glance at some of the numbers, even getting in towards the afternoon on Monday or late in the day, those are some of the numbers, but it should be higher on this model, especially for the western edge of the island with over 50 millimeters. Risk of frostbite still quite chilly for the northeastern corners of the province. In the morning it'll start off at minus 35 and then bump up to minus 28. That's what it'll feel like. Areas near Whitehorse tomorrow minus 38 as well. By the afternoon it's a partly cloudy sky. Northern half of the province staying as rain, but it's still a significant amount of snow for areas near Terrace and blowing snow. Caribou and Central Interior, just some flurries tomorrow morning, drier conditions for the afternoon. Columbia and Kootenay, rain mixed with snow as temperatures do start to bump up just above the freezing mark. And the tops in Okanagan, it'll be flurries for tomorrow and snow pushing in for the southern interior Monday night and leading into Tuesday. Risk of freezing rain will be the concern for areas near Whistler tomorrow, but still a significant amount of snow. And we are tracking that rainfall warning for the north and west side of Vancouver Island. Five-day forecast, Colleen, it seems like it's been a while. Temperatures well above the freezing mark. It is going to be mild and balmy, but we are going to see some rain and the potentials there for some localized flooding. Back to you. Okay, happy to see the rain, though. Happy to see it. All right, thanks, Yvonne. They are mysterious creatures, to say the least. But now, a study out of the University of Calgary has discovered a cat's facial expression can tell us a lot about how they're feeling. As Global's Tiffany Leasy reports, the finding has led to a fast and easy way for vets to treat felines. If you're a cat person, then you know felines tend to hide their pain. And studies show that can result in cats being undertreated and prescribed fewer painkillers than dogs. My cats get neutered or they have a, get spayed. They don't get sent home with pain meds because nobody really knows, in my understanding, what works. Unlike dogs, cats only really have like one type of meow and they do that for everything. You don't want to see your animal suffer, right? And if you don't know if it's suffering, well... Researchers at the University of Calgary found a cat's face can indicate if they're in pain or not. And with that information, the team decided to build a new pain measuring scale specifically for felines. 
we found a way that seems to work pretty well where we're looking at their facial features. So we're looking at their ears, their eyes, their whiskers, their muzzle, and the position of their head. Vet clinics already have pain scoring scales for cats, but Dr. Pang says it's time-consuming and often not reliable. He and his team are hoping his new tool will make diagnosing and treating cats easier. As veterinarians, we find it hard to identify pain in cats. And because of that, it's hard to make a decision or make the right decision sometimes as to when we should be giving pain relief. And tied to that, whether the pain relief we've given is actually working or not. The feline grimace scale measures a cat's pain from zero to two. Researchers say vets can also use this score to help determine if pain medication should be considered. Tiffany Lise, Global News. But what if it's Grumpy Cat? He's grumpy all the time. Yeah, then he doesn't have much. If our cat doesn't get his food, if it's like five seconds late, you he's know? There's, grimace. there's a grimacy cat Off the right grimace there. Scale. That's right. He woke me up for this. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, Canucks play their final game before a he the uh, All-Star break, which is nine days for them, so they'd love to go out with the wins. We'll set that up against uh, the Sharks. And uh, some great stories for uh, some BC athletes today in uh, ski cross and figure skating. A lot of those stories coming up. We were talking about ooh, identifying a cat that was in pain. How can you tell if a shark's in pain? Uh, well, we can see what their faces look, uh, look like tonight if the Canucks uh, can beat them. But uh, wow, I tell you, all these games are so important right now in uh, the NHL, especially for the Canucks. They play the Sharks tonight, their final game before the All Star break. And with a win, I'll repeat this with a win, the Canucks move into first in the Pacific Division. As of right now, five teams are separated by one point, which is just ridiculous this far into the season. Canucks go for an eight straight win on home ice. Thatcher Demko is going to get the starting goal. Highlights at 11. Now, two of those teams in that Pacific Division battle met in Edmonton. The Nuge, Ryan Nugent Hopkins and the Oilers hosting Arizona. First period, shorthanded. Former Coyote Josh Archibald. Beautiful move on the Breakaway there to score on Anti-Ranta. 1-0 Edmonton later in the first. Now 2-0. Kyler Yamamoto jams at it. And Ranta helps him out by knocking it into his own net. Little friendly fire there. The Oilers will take that. It's 3-0. Then Connor McDavid goes to work. Fakes out Ranta badly. Looks like he's going to pass, but then fires short side. Power play goal is 26th. And then it's Archibald filling in for the suspended Zach Cassian. Finds McDavid for his second, 7-3 the final. So for the time being, the Oilers lead the Pacific with 57 points, one up on the Canucks. Flames and Senators, Calgary starting the day in first in the Pacific. First period, Brady Kachuk attempting the pass across the crease. Flames defenseman Travis Hamannick had good intentions to break it up but ends up tipping the puck in his own net. Brady Kachuk's 15th, 1-0 sends. Second period, now 2-0. Connor Brown, the former Maple Leaf, on the power play. Bangs in the loose puck off the goal line there. Another ugly one, but it's 3-0 for the Senators. And then in the third off the rush, Colin White will convert the juicy rebound. Ottawa doing the Canucks, Oilers, and other Pacific teams a big favor. Flames falling flat, losing 5-2. Flames stay at 57 points, currently second in the division. Meanwhile, Vegas Golden Knights just a point behind the Canucks at Montreal. Fresh off that coaching change, Gerard Gallant out. Peter DeBoer in, won his first in Ottawa the other night. Meanwhile, Ilya Kovalchuk, fourth goal in five games. The 36-year-old Russian rejuvenated in Montreal. Habs led 3-0, but back comes Vegas. Paul Stashny will jam the rebound past Kerry Price. That made it 3-2 after two. 
Canadians, though, restored the two-goal lead. The former Canuck, Dale Weiss, great feed to Nick Cousins. Habs looked in control up 4-2, but Vegas got two late ones to tie it. They're now in overtime, tied at four. And Alex Ovechkin fired three more goals today, up to 34 on the year. 692 career goals, passing Mario Lemieux and tying Steve Eiserman for ninth on the all-time list. Caps won 6-4. Canadian Figure Skating Championships in Mississauga, and what a day it was for 17-year-old Emily Bosbach of Vancouver, 10th in the senior women's last year at the Nationals, but she did much, much better today. Nails her triple combination off the top, and then later nails the triple loop. She ended up setting a career-best score for her long program, and she took the lead, and then she had to wait for three more skaters to go. So it was an agonizing wait as she waits behind the scenes. But then after the last one went, Bosbeck finds out she is indeed the Canadian champion. She's off to the Worlds in Montreal this March. So congrats to Emily Bosbeck. Canadian champ. Another amazing day for Cultus Lakes. Reese Howden, the 21-year-old racing in the World Cup ski cross event at Nakiska near Calgary, currently going to school in Calgary, so he hasn't been able to give all of his time to racing, but he was unbeatable this week. Won every heat that he skied today, including the big final. Reese Howden never trailed in this race, wins his first ever World Cup gold medal. What a day for the young man who had friends and family in the crowd. Oh, it was amazing, like, being able to compete in front of your family, friends, like, it, it was awesome. And being in, in Canada, sure, it was, and I only get to do so many races every year right now because I'm finishing school, but, no, it was unreal, all the, all the cheers and from the home crowd and, and uh, being able to hug mom and dad in the finish and my brother, Jesse, it was, yeah, I couldn't ask for anything more, really. Wow, what a great story. The Canadian Junior Men's and Women's Curling Championship started today at George Preston Rec Centre in Langley. BC's women's team is certainly a provincial team. Skip Kyla Bushy is from Kimberley, and the rest of the team is from the Okanagan. They expect to contend. Even their coach is a winner. Jim Cotter has been to eight Briars representing BC. you got to have fun. Um, if you're not having fun, it's, it's not worth it. So it's... Uh, it's, you know, just making sure they're getting their rest and, you know, doing all those sorts of things, those little things. It's a long week, and uh, so, you know, I'm here. If they need, need someone to lean on, I'm definitely here to help them out in any way possible. I think it's just tough because we don't get to play together that often, uh, but we played on the junior tour this year, which helps, so we got a few events in together, and we just all practice on our own, and when we come together, kind of try to gel as well as we can. And a good start for the BC women who routed the Yukon in their first game 16-2. They face Saskatchewan tonight in the 7.30 draw. On the men's side, BC has two teams. The provincial champ skipped by Hayato Sato of Coquitlam edged Ontario 4-3 in their opener. And the second BC team skipped by Johnson Tau of Richmond lost in an extra end to Newfoundland Labrador. Welcome back. The NFL Conference Championships go tomorrow. Kansas City and Tennessee in the AFC. And then in the late game, 49ers-Packers in the NFC. The Niners blew out the Packers when they met during the regular season. But with a Super Bowl berth on the line, can the Niners beat them again? Chanel has all the answers in the red zone. For the second time in two months, the 49ers host the Packers, only this time a trip to the Super Bowl is on the line. Now, back in November, San Fran blew out Green Bay 37-8, to but since that game, 
The Packers have won six straight, setting up an intriguing return matchup in the NFC title game. The Packers' ferocious front had Russell Wilson running for his life. Five sacks, four coming from the Smiths. Now, if they have any shot in the bay, they'll need to do the same, pressure the quarterback. Now, the Packers' defense, seventh overall during the regular season with 25 takeaways. Creating turnovers is a must if they plan to advance. Aaron Rodgers was his vintage self last week, a couple of touchdowns to Devontae Adams, and he was clutch when it mattered the most. Now, he's been successful versus San Fran in seven career games, 14 touchdowns, while throwing just two interceptions. Last week, Aaron Jones scored twice, but only ran for 62 yards. Now, the pack will try to keep it on the ground early, as San Fran is in the middle of the pack when it comes to stopping the run. Jimmy Garoppolo leads an offense ranked fourth overall, and they are explosive. He does have weapons like Kittle, Sanders, and Samuel, but they dominate on the ground. Number two during the regular season, and they ripped off 186 yards last week. With the pack run defense ranked 23rd overall, expect the 49ers to try and expose that early. The defense was fierce versus the Vikings, six sacks and a pick. And in their meeting earlier this season, Nick Bosa and company got to Rodgers five times. But the Pack do have one of the best pass-blocking teams in the NFL. The 49ers are a 7.5-point favorite and have won five of the last seven versus Green Bay, including the last two in the playoffs. All right, opening event of the LPGA season, the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions from Florida. 26-player field had to have won a tournament over the last two seasons. Canada's Brooke Henderson has won five in that time. A co-leader after two rounds had a rough start today. Three over on the front until she got a couple back on the back nine, including that great approach at 11, and then knocks in the birdie at 17. Minus eight for the tournament, tied for fifth, but five shots back of leader in B Park. PGA Tours in Palm Springs for the American Express. Got to go low in this tournament if you're going to contend. Scotty Scheffler, first full year in the PGA Tour, sticks it to within a foot at 15. He is tied for the lead at 21 under with Andrew Landry. Both Nick Taylor and Roger Sloan missed the cut. David Hearn and Michael Glidjik carry Canadian colors into the final round. Both are nine back at 12 under. And NBA tonight, Fred Van Vliet back in the lineup, which means Toronto is finally back to full strength. Just the seventh time this season they've had a full roster available. Van Vliet in good form early, going to the basket for the layup. Cuts the Timberwolves lead to four. They were down by two or down by four at the break and then... Freddie hits his fifth three-pointer. He's got 19 right now. Toronto leads early fourth, 89-84. Wow. There you are. And Conor McGregor fights some UFC tonight, so a lot of people are excited oh. he's back in it, so we'll have that at 11. Here's a look at your snow report for tonight with lots of new snow for many of the mountains. 17 new centimeters for Whistler Blackcomb, 13 for Grouse, 5 for Cypress and Sasquatch, 23. 12 new centimeters for Manning Park, 13 for Revelstoke, 6 for Fernie, and Kicking Horse 1. Big White, 8 new centimeters, 6 for Silver Star, Sun Peaks 9, and Apex 2. Mount Washington, 31 new centimeters, 5 for Whitewater, Red Mountain 5, and Powder King with a base of 240. A Vancouver woman marked a big birthday today at one of her very favorite places. Have a look. 
Ethel Morley loves bowling and regularly throws down <laughs> strikes and spares at Commodore Lanes on the Granville Strip. She decided to celebrate her 100th birthday at the bowling alley surrounded by her family and friends. Ethel says she's bowled the 300 game before, but averages about 150, 105. An inspiration to all of us, uh, amazing woman. Um, you know, I, everyone's surprised she made it to 100, but I'm, I'm not one bit. By looking at her and seeing seeing how she can still bowl like this, <laughs> does it twice a week. I mean, she's an amazing woman. You're 100 years old. Yeah. That's I impressive, was... and you're still bowling. Oh, why not? Evidently, it does something for me. <laughs> Happy, Happy birthday, Ethel. Happy birthday. <laughs> Bolder age or better. Totally. <laughs> she's awesome. Have a great night. <laughs>